Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. My name's Ingrid Weir. I'm a designer and photographer based in Sydney, Australia. And my first book is called New Rural, Where to Find It and How to Create It. You write in the book, once upon a time, escaping a small town and making it in the city was a common dream. A chance to find work, meet people from all walks of life, discuss ideas, and then things changed. So what changed? I think just one word, which is internet. I've just been reading a book about the golden age of travel. And interestingly, in that book, they said, Before 1850, people really didn't travel that much for pleasure, if at all. And then they had one word that changed all that was steam. You know, of course, like steam trains, steam powering the big ships, steam making the hotels kind of warmer when you went to them. And that one thing changed everything. And reading that, I did think how massive this change has been in our lives, which is the internet and connectivity. So you explore a new way of living that combines space and freedom of rural existence with the connections and opportunities of the modern world. I think this concept really took on steam in the midst of the pandemic. Um, I was reading a new Gallup survey and it shows how the desire to live in a rural or small town setting has risen substantially over the past two years. So I'm assuming you st- started on this book before March 2020? Um, No, I think that's actually exactly when I, (laughs) a few months later, I started on the book. Um, But I had bought the house 10 years before. So it had been a longer time coming as it were. But definitely the thinking around it all accelerated. And I think there's many different articles I've been reading and surveys, like you said, about people thinking in different ways now. So I was asking you if you started this around March 2020, because I was wondering if your book started out one thing, but kind of took on new meaning as the pandemic went on. The pandemic crystallized something that I'd been thinking for some time and noticing. So I think it was there before that, which was this interesting energy emanating from some of the little country towns that I would visit and people trying things and doing things and experimenting. And that was an energy you might have associated with cities in the past. And I just found it very interesting. So I guess the pandemic, like everyone, it made you think a lot and think about things a lot. And so that was something that I fastened on to. And also I liked that it was a positive thing. There's lots of negative kind of connotations we can discuss, but I liked fastening onto something positive, which is what I saw this movement was. So speaking of creativity, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, had a huge impact on you. And recently, I heard someone call her the godmother of creativity. Could you talk a little bit about the exercise where you wrote a letter to your younger self and what that letter imagined? The Artist's Way is always in bookshops and has been for years and for very good reason. Some of her exercises, they can unlock parts of yourself. The one that struck me was when you had to write a letter to yourself at the age you were then from, say, 70 or 80, and you're describing all those intervening years and what you've done. And 
it's such a different perspective going through your life. So I really had to think of it. And then I sort of had written in the letter, oh, you've got a little place in the country and you divide your time between the city and the country, never thinking that that would come to happen. But um, then it was a few months later, I travelled up to Hill End and it all started to fall into place. So I think there was something very interesting in her exercises that she can bring out these deeper instincts and desires you might have. Do you think just writing it down solidified it for you? Yes, absolutely. Or or making yourself think about what you want. I think that was a powerful part of the exercise. So you bought a hundred-year-old schoolmaster's house in a remote rural area called Hill End, New South Wales, Australia. What jumped out at you? How did you know this was your house? Well, it was the only one for sale, is oh. the honest <laughs> <laughs> because I really fell in love with Hill End. And the thing is, there's not many houses there. It's a very small village. A lot of the houses are run by national parks and wildlife. So there's a handful of houses that come up. I had liked some of the other houses looked much more romantic, the sort of miners' houses, a little bit falling down, you know, kind of gorgeous. Uh, this house was kind of a bit sturdy and double brick. And, you know, so it, I sort of had an idea that this could be a great place. but. When I actually moved in and a friend of mine in the country, she said, oh, double brick in the country, how terrific. And I realized it's actually a wonderful house because it's very solid and comfortable. And then I brought in the romantic touches more with my decorating style. I am fascinated by Hill End. Can you give me a brief history of the town? Yeah, so Hill End is in a mountainous area. It's about four hours out of Sydney going inland. And gold was found there in the 19th century. So very briefly, it became um, the third biggest town in our state in the 1870s. And they had 28 pubs, they had a sort of opium den, an oyster bar, you know, thousands of people were up there. And um, it was over fairly soon and did sort of died down and a lot of the houses fell down. Some were sort of taken away literally to other places. And so it became a sleepy little town with a second spurt of interest when a lot of well-known Australian artists discovered it in the 1940s. And from then on, it has had a very strong artistic connection. I love that it had 28 pubs. Now it has one. (laughs) (laughs) It needs about 12 more. (laughs) Um, So can you please read the excerpt uh, that you wrote in the book about Hill End? Yes. Hill End has an easy on the eye appeal, an almost storybook quality with its quaint old buildings and kangaroos hopping across the street. In the evening, the sun sets with a dusky pink glow. With a population of 102, there are more kangaroos than people. After driving through a long avenue of trees, you arrive at a grand old country pub opposite a general store and cafe where people sit outside surrounded by banks of lavender. It's a village at the end of the road. But if you stay longer or listen a bit, there's a streak of wilder, stronger energy under the surface. You can see why artists have been drawn here. So I found it interesting that during the 19th century gold rush, Hill End was a place of potential hope and fortune. And I think that potential hope and fortune took on a whole new meaning in your life in the past 10 years, don't you think? Yeah, and this is interesting. When I was doing film and TV, I had a run of doing comedy shows with a kind of negative bias. And after I'd done that for a while, I I really got to this point where I thought I want 
something positive and and like what do I really like so I want something with a bit more simplicity and positivity and that was around the time my thinking changed and I did come to Hill End so yeah I think you're right there it does it does contain something of that I'd love to hear about the glass plate negatives that were discovered in a garden shed in Sydney. That's the Holterman collection. So Holterman was a kind of huckster, almost businessman who was up at Hill End. But what he did was terrific. He got a couple of very fine photographers to come up and photograph the gold rush. And it was on glass plates. That was then lost for many, many years till the 1950s and found in a garden shed in Sydney. You can get quite obsessed with the collection because you really get a sense of the miners and they kind of look a bit rock and roll. And there's a fantastic sign writer that was up there. So you get incredible graphics. It's now in the State Library of New South Wales and some people there have cleaned up the glass negatives. So you get a real clarity looking at these shots. Uh, Not that sort of muddy look that a lot of old photos have. And they're such good photos that I think people are drawn to this collection as well. You write in the book, experiences from when you were very young can shape your attitude towards a place, something you're trying to recreate or leave behind. This is how it was for you. That concept really, really resonates with me. What are some different ways we can discover our place, what we should be looking for? Yes, I've said in my book some of the things I looked out for. Um, you know, I said a cup of good coffee, uh, not really as a joke. That actually was a consideration. I love beautiful buildings. Um, I love a place where you could swim, even like a little you know, lake or something. But then I did interview a wonderful man, David Glenn, who's an older man, a gardener. And he said something about finding a place in the country which I think is the the true star, which is to find a place that you respond to emotionally. And I think that's very good advice for people looking for a place in the country. So we found our place, we respond to it emotionally. Something that people don't discuss much is is considering how far away you want to be from the city. Um, What should we be thinking about in terms of distance from the city? Yeah, I think this is a vital point and not discussed much. In the book, I've divided the sections into near and far. Near is where it's within two hours of a a city centre. And I think it makes all the difference with the coming and going. You know, it might be something where you need to get into the city to have some meetings or spend a few days. Alternatively, it's a place you're going to have as a weekender. The two hour makes it a lot easier. Four hours is where Hill End is and, you know, but that brings its own kind of wildness and, and wonderful quality about it as well. So what don't you get in Hill End? What do you have to travel four hours for? A doctor? Well, it's a small place, Hill End. There is a nurse there and you can be airlifted out. So there is that aspect of it, which is always good to know. But it does feel like you're on a sort of ship at sea there because you're surrounded by a lot of national park and and you're just this little kind of community in the midst of a kind of big, vast area. One town in the book that I'd love for you to chat about is Bundina. Is that how you pronounce it? Bundina. Bundina. New South Wales, a lost-in-time suburb. Can you describe this beautiful place? You do drive through a beautiful national park to get there, and it does feel wild coming through, and suddenly you come across this 
little suburb and it's all around these lovely little beaches and it has a, a real charm to it. I think though, since I've visited it, things have changed quite fast. Anywhere coastal in Australia, and I'm sure in the US, it has a villagey feeling. People have really gravitated towards it. It's incredibly attractive at the moment. So it's actually had a few changes since I first wrote about it. Tell me about Sabella Court. I love that name, uh, hmm. who lives in the village with her family and her take on Vandina. How did she end up there? Yeah, Sabella is a very interesting woman. I'd call her a real trailblazer, particularly in the Australian design world. And she's a woman of great enthusiasms and curiosity. She had this thing where she said, I get in the car at a sort of drop of a hat. I'll jump in a car and go anywhere. And so she'd had friends in the area and that's how she discovered Bundina. And I think that's quite a common thing is that People discover areas through friends. And then if you move to that area, you do have friends in the area, which is a wonderful thing. What does she do for a living? She used to be a stylist in New York for many years and she has her own shop. She also has now moved into product design and has been designing hardware, which is really quite beautiful. And I use some of it in the kitchen in Hill End to update some, some door handles and knobs to update some Ikea cupboards. The wonderfully magical part about this book is how you weave in growing up in suburban Australia, your mm -hmm. travels to the United States. Uh, you lived in Pennsylvania while your father, Peter Weir, was directing the movie Witness, and you took trips to New York City, which seemed like a lifetime away from Australia. Then yeah. you finished school and got involved in costume design and set design on TV shows and films, and then you got involved in decorating the monkey bar. I'd love for you to tell me a bit about that. That was when I worked with my father on the film Master and Commander. I did the graphic design that was used, the logbooks and um, maps in the film. And then as a kind of side project, we designed this cafe for the actors to hang out in. And it was the start of my great love of designing spaces for people. I hadn't worked with him before that because I wanted to sort of chart my own path. But definitely I loved my childhood and growing up. And it was such a beautiful, rich texture and particularly times in New York, quite a bit of time there. And it's definitely something that I would say I treasure. Okay, yesterday I watched Picnic at Hanging Rock. It was so dreamy and magical in itself. Did that aesthetic have any influence on you? It's interesting you say that because I actually have a side hustle where I look after Picnic and Hanging Rock. I'm sort of the custodian of it, as it were, in terms of international film sales and, you know, working here with the National Film and Sound Archive. And I do I do love the aesthetic of Picnic and the great cameraman who dad worked with, Russell Boyd. And, yeah, I guess it's shooting the Australian bush in that dreamy way using the golden line. Perhaps it has. I, I never thought it directly, but it, it could have had some influence. The mm. light was impeccable. Well, it's interesting photographing the Australian bush, you know, it can look rather grey and harsh. Um, it really, I think it looks the most beautiful in the magic hour. And 
strange to say, maybe a bigger influence on me was the Terence Malick film Days of Heaven, which was only shot in the magic hour. What are some things you didn't know about rural life? I have said in the book some practical things. One is about the expense of getting furniture out there, um, the travel expense. And not just if you load it all up and go, but if you're continually adding to the house, it can really add up. So you sort of have to plan for that a lot. I see that there's a very strong thread of friendship in the book. It's a lot about friends. And I do feel that being in a rural area, having people to stay on the weekends, my friendships deepened and I treasure that. And then doing the book, when I was interviewing some people, some of them were friends I knew, some I'd met for the first time, I felt a sense of kinship and friendship with them, which was a lovely, lovely thing to feel. And I think when you're out in the country, maybe barriers are down a bit more. I'm not sure what it is, but it's a lovely way of connecting with people. I'm curious about how First Nation people contributed to this book in terms of accuracy of wording. Yes, that was important. And what Hardy Grant, the publishers, did was that they had a First Nations consultant do a thorough read of the manuscript and then in a really detailed way go through each area and name the traditional owners and continuing custodians of that area, which was important. The other great contributor was a man called Daniel O'Leary, who I interviewed, who runs a wonderful cafe restaurant in the country. And he is a Bundjalung man of First Nations heritage. And he's doing something really interesting in the cafe. He's kind of bringing in the language and some of the foods of First Nations people and just kind of starting a conversation. And it's a very interesting space to visit and it's a real community space like people drop by and they're very fond of him and they like seeing him and that was a lovely warm space to visit and got in some very interesting ideas through his perspective where can we find you on the web and social media so my website is ingridweir.com.au my instagram is ingridweir to purchase the new rural head over to decoratingbythebook.com and thank you so much ingrid for coming on Decorating by the Book podcast. Oh, thanks, Susie. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only interior design book podcast, Decorating by the Book. Decorating by the Book.